Hey, you found us. Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. I'm Megan Fanning, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan. We created this podcast to continue the real conversations that we have when we get outside to run, bike, surf, climb, or whatever it is that you do. We love the real conversations when boundaries come down, because really, that's when it gets interesting. The information in this podcast represents the views and opinions of Zendurance Now Coaching. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical or psychological advice or treatment. We may be right, we may be wrong. Either way, be a solid human. If you're thinking about making questionable decisions, please seek out an appropriate professional. Dude, it is like... As we're recording this, I think it's like the official start of race season and it's fucking awesome. Right. So like, yeah. So like, right. This in the New England area this weekend was Trap Rock 50K, uh, Run Amok 50K. Uh, Today, as we're recording, is the Don't Run Boston 50 miler. Tomorrow. Is the Boston Marathon, which is the official start of hmm? road race season, as far as I, c- I would consider it, and marathon season. Dude, it's it's a great time Do to we, be alive. I don't have any athletes doing Boston. Do you have any athletes doing Boston? No. Um, yeah, I this had, is the first year in a long time I haven't had anybody doing Boston. So, yeah. I had uh, an athlete that was supposed to be doing uh, trap rock. And life has changed and their priorities have changed. So they were not there, which was sad. Um, then I have uh, Canyon's Endurance Run is like the first um, big UTMB qualifying 100. And that's going on in Cali in like two weeks. Uh, Cocodona 250 is like the first of the 200s. It's going off in like two weeks. Um your girl Sally McRae is running it. She's she's high up on the female favorites there. She's been putting in a ton of work. Um, there's, let's see, Big Sur marathons going off right the week after Boston. Dude, it's just it's just it's the fucking it's the time, right? It's mm-hmm. everything's going off on that side of things. Now, as far as biking and stuff like that, that would be more. I know that you've looked at some gravel races coming up and some I other stuff. I have. I'm signing up. Um, I'm actually doing stuff. And I'm also planning um, planning hiking adventure. I decided by the end of the season, um, I would like to get in all 48 of the 4,000 footers in the White Mountains. So I'm actually planning the logistics on that right now. I'm not going to do it. All in one shot. I'm planning to just casually do it over the course of, well, I mean, there's still a lot of, actually, if you go up into the whites right now, it's not a fun time because there's, there's a lot of snow, but then it melts. So it's super slippery. So I really, I mean, people do it all the time, but, um, I don't like to go up there when it's like post holing and ice season. So I'm going to give it a few more weeks. Uh, one of my buddies was just up there, one of my training buddies and he, um, was up in the whites, 4,000 footers. I don't know. Which one did he do? Dude, he was like, I don't, I'd have to look it up. What, what he, he was out That's towards uh, um, King of Mangus Highway type oh, area. Yeah. Um, and how were the, how were the conditions? Did he, he say? was wearing, he was wearing snowshoes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there was snow, still snowshoes up high, but strapped mm-hmm. them on his pack down low. Type That's what of I deal. Do. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wear, um, and then I have my spikes on. So. So. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, there was, there's some funny video of him. Well, not of him, of his, uh, I think it's his daughter, like trying to cross a stream with snowshoes mm-hmm. on. Oh yeah. No, no. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty amusing to watch that, that happen. <laughs> So, yeah. And, uh, and so how did your race go yesterday? You did. Dude, trap so, rock. Yeah. So trap rock 50 K, um, it was a day out there. It was warm. Um, what for, was the temperature in Connecticut? So I, I race start was like 60 degrees, which is nice. Um, but as soon as that sun came, same sun came up, it got warm fast. Um, peak high was supposed to be, 76 78 which is not brutal but for early april is very warm um Mm -hmm. for most of us a lot of i mean i think everyone that ran the course would have said it was a hot day out there um the times kind of reflect that a little bit um if you talk to people that were spectating as it was or out enjoying casual hikes and stuff like that, they would say it was a beautiful day out. And Mm -hmm. that being said, comparing the two days prior where it was 90 degrees and like a high of like 88 degrees, the two, two days around here prior, it did feel cooler. Um, but 78, 76 for a high with sun overhead is, is warm, no tree cover. Um, it was, it was a, I had a, I had a good day out there. I mean, I had a good day. I had a bad day. Um, there was points where uh, I started off pretty conservative. First loop, um, just kind of cruising along, taking in taking in calories has prescribed probably more calories than I should have. Stomach went Are south. Are you experimenting with more? Was that deliberate? Yeah, I was trying to take in 300 plus an hour, and I was Ooh, more like – and I was more like yeah. 360. Um, Oof, I, I would I would vomit. That's hard. So, and I was good through through 22, and then, it, like I said, by that time it was very warm. And I had, like, not to get TMI here, but I had to take a shit. And so, um, coming into an aid station where they had a porter john, I like I took care of that, and then my stomach felt felt better. Um, but it was probably about five miles of, of really just kind of trying not to throw up and poop myself at the same time. And so, um, are you going to try to stay at that amount of calories? Or are you going to what are you going to do? Because so, that's a lot. So, well, I think that's on the I high. Think, that's on the higher end. If you can absorb it, it's great. But yeah, so I think uh, training wise, I will continue to try and push above three, um, and then. Come race day, if I drop down to 280 per hour, like, and don't have any stomach issues during the heat of the day at Western, that'll be, that'll be awesome. So yeah, it was in it. Like I said, it was, it was five, six miles of, of rough. It's just, it's five, six miles deep into a 50 K where you've been pushing and your legs feel like Mm -hmm. garbage and it's Mm -hmm. a 50 K that's really 33 miles. So a 50 K plus it's nearly 7,000 feet of climbing and descent. Um, so it's a, it's a tough course. I think it's fun. I love, I love running. I, 
loved running out there. Absolutely yeah. loved it, but it's tough. Yeah, and the the course right so it's changed. Um, I think probably the last time you were out there was still the original course, and then mm-hmm. they've changed it um, about two or three times since then. And now the course goes um, almost out to Terrafil, so it crosses the power lines the three times. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, and it does some like some interesting climbs in and out of there. Um, so it's 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 instead of doing to I mean really inside baseball here instead of coming back up the road section and then going back up over and dropping right um, over the Metacomet where that steep descent mm-hmm. back into the start finish where you would do this steep descent on the way out and the steep descent on the mm-hmm. way in it does right. like one complete loop and comes in and you don't have the steep descent finish anymore you kind of have oh. a, a, a runnable finish which okay. is good. Um, it covers some more of the trail that I really do enjoy that we, we missed and it like eliminates that kind of rocky crappy road section. Um, Mm -hmm. there's some sections of that on the far side of the course that we never reached that are like gravel, um, access road sections and they're Mm -hmm. like super fast. There's a steep pitch climb on one of them. That's runnable to the top tier guys because it's gravel but uh mm-hmm. it's kind of beats up the rest of us uh that's where when i was talking to you earlier that i said i, I stole somebody's soul oh yeah um, so i was racing back and forth with um so whose soul did you steal so i'm not gonna call out okay <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute pa- let's let's because whenever you sigh like that it's usually like well, it's the but wait a minute it's the oh, Megan, or yeah. it's the, oh, should I say this out loud? So, <laughs> so I'm not, I got to interpret gonna, your sigh. I'm not going to call out, <laughs> call out who it was. Um, but I was bouncing back and forth with this kid, young runner, fast. He's, he's going to be a, a really fast runner. He's, he's I'm just by giving his description, people are going to know who he is. He's 18 years know. old. I don't yeah. know if it makes you feel any better. Um, anyways, but he's he's gonna be he's gonna be a good runner as he gets up in age just because he's got so much experience, um, and he had like we had been kind of like bouncing back and forth from the first first loop I I caught up to him on the end of the first loop, uh, and then we kind of like hung together for the end of that loop and then he came out of the aid station fast um, at the first loop. And then I caught him back up on the second loop and we kind of bounced back and forth. And then going into the third loop, he passed me. Cause like I said, I was having like that, that real low spell where my stomach was really far South. And I started gaining back on him on the climbs on the back half after I, I squared myself away. And he was, and I was just at that point, I was like, I don't want him passing me again. So, um, we, I got up, I, I came up to him on that long gravel stretch running mm-hmm. and I was, I was running. I was like, I, I, I said, like, I felt pretty good at that point. Um, and he was going through a little bit of a low point. And then there's like, there's a big, there's a fairly steep pitch gravel, gravel section that climbs to single track after you cross the power lines. And I ran, I ran like three quarters of the way up that gravel section, like right after passing him. And I knew it was, he was going to hike it. And I was like, there you go. I don't have to worry about like 
That's how that, you do that, it. That'll, that'll break your spirit, if anything, right. at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was really, like, it was just, I just didn't want, I didn't want to get, get past again. Um, and then. That's, you know, when, circle back to the episode where my dad was on, um, Marshall Collins. I don't know what episode that was. Um, maybe, I don't know. Episode four. Was it really? I don't know. It was a long time ago, yeah. Oh, I thought you like knew that. Is that is that? No. Oh, okay. I'd have to look it up. But anyway, the episode where um, my dad was on. But one of the things that my dad always taught me was everybody is hurting on the hills. Just know that everybody everybody hurts on the hills. So take advantage of it and use that. Just knowing that the person that you're running against is hurting. So you suck it up, do the best you can, and when you pass somebody on a hill, pass somebody like you mean it. And don't let them see, don't let them see how tired you are. Just go. And then you got it. That's, that was like the, that was the opportunity to gain on people. So I learned that one at an early age. Episode six. Episode six. Yes. Go back to episode six. Listen to Marshall Collins, the, what did we call him? The OG, right? Yeah. (laughs) The OG Um, of, the OG of running. (laughs) And so, so yeah, and, oh, and and Marshall does not like ultra running. <laughs> I, think that was in, I think that's in that. I think that's in the description. You'll have to listen to the episode to to hear that. So, but anyway, he, does, he Mar- doesn't think he doesn't think it's real racing. Well, he I, that's what, yeah, that's pretty much what he said. Yeah, like, there's, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. But go back to the episode and listen. That I would just say, yeah. I mean, I've just grown up with this, so I hear it all the time. So. So anyway, yeah. so yeah, and when then, you pass people, pass people like you mean it. Yeah. And then after after that, I passed another guy coming in, and then I was kind of I was like running, not aggressively, but like consistently. And it, there's a, a turnoff now that kind of goes to like kind of a cut through where they get it to to the finish, essentially almost a finish line shoot. Mm-hmm. And um, as I made the turn. I heard footsteps coming up from behind me and whoever it was, was, was making, was making moves. And it wasn't one of the two people I passed. It was someone different. And so, so I look back and I see him and I was like, fuck it. No one's, you're not passing me like a hundred yards of the finish line. So like I full on, full on sprinted like to the finish, um, which was, which was probably exciting for everyone at the finish to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was always good. Um, even though it really made no difference whatsoever. Uh, well, yeah, it does for your psyche. It does <laughs> just, just for no me. one's passing me. No one's passing me that close after all the work you've done. No, no. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, dude, I had a, I had a good day out there. Um, like so how do you, how do you lessons, feel? Lessons learned. How, yeah. I was going to say that's, that's where I was going. How do you feel in your Western States, 100 mile training? Um, at using that race as a gauge. Now the course is very different, but as for your level of fitness, tolerance for food, hydration, all that, how do you feel? Um, I feel, I feel good. I feel I'm where I, I, I should be. Um, now I, like I said, I don't, I don't know what Western States is gonna, I don't know how it's going to shake out. Like I, there's still so much snow in the high Sierras there. Um, 
It could be scorching hot on the backside there. I get, I got right. Like you get done and I pushed hard for that 50 K and I got done and there was, my legs were pretty destroyed. There was a lot of cramping. Um, and the thought is always like, fuck, how the hell am I going to do this for like a hundred miles? I just did mm-hmm. 33 miles. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and that, right. that comes through like with like, I think anytime, like I, and the next time, like if I were to go out and run a 50, it'd be like, it'd be fine through the 50. And then I'd be like, how am I going to get through a hundred? Like, it's just, but the, what we tell our athletes you know, that are training for ultras is it's not linear. That's the, that's the difference between, you know, Marshall Collins style marathon racing. Um, actually I think from 50 K and above, I'd say, right. It's not linear because you can, it, it ebbs and it flows and you feel great and it feels awful. And it's just running for super long distances is just different. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I mean, it's way different, right? So like a 50 K arguably is very close to a marathon, but it just depends on what, what course you're doing. Yeah. There's, exactly. I mean, when guys are out there, there are legit killers and running a 50 K on this course and it's taken them five hours and their marathon time is 220 or 240, but that's, right? But that's so hard, but that's so hard to compare because the course that you're talking about is an extremely technical course. And right, if you have that's, somebody that's fast on the roads, that's hard that it just doesn't carry over. But that's onto what I'm that saying. It's like, oh, it's like oh, okay. you like look at the time, like you're like, oh, they run like a it's double the time for an extra six miles. Right. Which is fucking right. insane, right? Like if you mm-hmm. were like to that's correlate that out. It's um, technical. Yeah. And it's it's just the amount of hill. I mean, you're over yeah. two hundred feet of gain mm-hmm. in descent per mile, which is, which is a lot. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, and the pace was way more aggressive than it should be at Western. I mean, my pace per mile is probably on, if, if I were to run a sub 24 Western is three minutes per mile faster than I will run at Western. Wow. Oof. So like, yeah, it's, supposed to hurt more at 33 than it, yeah. but it, it's just it's hard to draw that correlation in your head so when you're out at western states you move through those aid stations do not waste time in the aid stations you be in and out like a nascar pit crew Whew. yeah i suck at aid stations you just need somebody to to have you move fast Dude, have everything well, ready move fast that's so right so that kind of brings us into like what we're what we were planning on talking about today, right? Like race logistics planning, um, how you pick people to come out to races with you, how you pick people to um, pace, like how you pick people, like how you plan a race. Do you get out there like a week before? Do you get out there three days before? How do you deal with all of those logistical things? Like when do you start like, planning like to get out to the race um and it's i mean it's different in like whatever race you're doing um i mean the the planning starts when you start picking your races right okay so people supporting athletes um i have some i just can think i mean there's so many 
good things that have happened um, for me and for others, but I can think of some serious uh, support stories gone wrong. <laughs> and I know that wasn't the, um, I know that wasn't the, what you were talking about, but that's what I started thinking about is when you have somebody supporting you, or maybe it's not the person, maybe it's something you asked for, but I can think of things that have gone really, really wrong for people. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and right. So big picture, the way I plan for a race, and this is just me, is I plan to minimize the contingencies that'll happen, right? Like what if you're, crew doesn't make it to mm-hmm. a stop, whatever it is. And like in, in, in other, I don't know, in some areas this probably applies. Like what if, what if you're, what if you're fucking lucky? Like if you're traveling to race, what if your luggage doesn't get to like your destination in time? What if, right. So how do you, how do you minimize the impact of all of that stuff going into your race? Right. Like how, how do you, how do you plan so that you don't end up in that spot? Like, when I travel to a race, I pack my race kit in my carry-on bag. Like everything that I'm gonna need to start the race is in my carry-on bag. As far as stuff that I would put in drop bags and stuff like that, that'll be in whatever suitcase. But most of that stuff, if I were not to if I were to get to my destination and it not make it there in time, I could go to a local running store and replenish I've a lot of that. that stuff. I've um, had to do that. <laughs> and then and then make do with what I what I got there, but I could still give myself a, a real good fighting chance, right? Like right off the bat. Um so I gotta tell you a recurring bad dream that I used to have. So when I lived in Connecticut, um, I had a job where I was very dressed up every day. I had to wear um, a suit and heels and, um, you know, my hair was straightened and I had lots of, it's very, you know, I had to very office, you know, very office for lack of a better way to say it. Anyway, so I used to have this recurring dream that I'd be at the start line in high heels in my business suit and I had to do the race in that because I had nothing else with me. And and then I'd wake up in this total panic, like, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. So yeah, that was my that was my recurring dream for many years. That sounds awful. There, I think there's a, <laughs> there's like there's world records for running races yeah. in high heels. Oh my God. Which is so I mean just the, what it would do to your back and hips and oh yeah. So no. But I'd be at the start line in my high heels and my work clothes and uh have in a panic. So yeah, don't do that. Yeah. And well, like, right. So if you, if you have that anxiety, <laughs> the best way to handle that is to Let's make prepare. sure that you yeah, prepare everything ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said, so I always pack that stuff in my, like, in my travel bag, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to in my, my bag. Well, one time, um, TSA ruined, um, my headlamp. I think they took it apart or something to see, <laughs> to see, I don't know, to make, I don't know, make sure it's not a bomb or something like that. And I don't know what they did, but when I put it back together, it absolutely did not work. So yeah, I had to go to, I had to go to a store the night before the race and 
And this was like my good headlamp, like the expensive one, you know, and I have all the little ones that are backups and stuff, yeah. but in well, finding that, so. Right. There's, there's, you have to know what your rules are too, like for, for TSA, like, right. I don't think you can put lithium ion batteries in your carry or in your, um, in your suitcase, you have to have them in your carry on, which seems like a, a weird thing. But so that goes with those. And I actually, you know what? A lot of times. Yeah. And I, um. I actually called TSA or or something like that. I remember way, you know, way back when, like I'm talking 10 years ago before a race, because I had to carry so much. I had like my powder with me, you know, my yep. drink powder. And I didn't know what I could, should I pack this in my suitcase? Should I put it on me? Does it, and yeah. So this, this is not cocaine. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> it's just I, too little taste. <laughs> the, the, the first, the first, uh, race that I traveled to where I had a, a bunch of nutritional supplementation was uh, world's toughest mutter in Vegas. And I was going through TSA, um, like dropping my drop bag off. And I said to the guy, I was like, I was like, I have a bunch of like baggies of powder in here. Do you want me to open it and show you like now? And he's like, he's like, no, you're fine. And I was like, okay. So yeah. And like, right. Like, and it was, it's not just like I had, like big like jugs of like like no no like, i know what you're talking about i separate yeah i separate I had, like, mine out in, too Absolutely. individual yeah. ziploc small exactly. ziploc bags i was like that's what i had yeah um and now i yeah. right like you would drug sniffing dogs know that it's not but <laughs> but whatever you just like if someone happens to that take randomly take that freaking package out or it right. triggers it it has some chemical in there that triggers the bomb thing and then they're starting to look and all of a sudden, like your bags being like dug apart, you're just like, mm-hmm. you kind of want to preemptively like, right. Like, and I think avoid that. Yeah. And I think anyone that's ever traveled for a race and has done that has had that same fear. Like, Hey, what is, is this going to be an issue? It has never in in my experience has never been an issue that I've had. No, but you and I, you and I are planners though. That's the thing. I mean, I've, you know, I've called TSA, I've prepped, you know, I, I don't, I don't wing these kind of things. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe people that, I don't know, maybe people that wing it, I don't know, maybe they're easier, easy going. Actually, I can remember somebody that I was running with at fin- in Infinitus. He had had a drink concoction that he was training with. It was, so, I can't remember what it was, but it had coconut oil in it. Okay. And he had left it in his car and it went rancid. So, yeah, so he had, um, so his whole fueling was, was shot and he was on, I don't know, he had to adjust and do something else, but it was, you know, is what he'd been training with forever. So yeah. Yeah. Stuff happens. Keep what you're training with simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. It can be, can be replaced at at the site. Um, Yeah. Right. There's the, the. You know, the other logistics is like once you figure out what race you're doing, like when do you like book rooms or book stuff like that? And it's right. So right. Talking about Boston coming up. I mean, after by the time this airs, it'll be two weeks after Boston or three weeks after Boston. But um, if you're if you get into Boston in September, you better start figuring out where you're going to be. ASAP because everything in that town will fill up. Mm -hmm. Um, Learn, learn where the buses go to and from um, 
Hopkinton High School so that you can get in and out of that, figure out the logistics of um, where the train lines run, all that stuff, like, because you'll want to book your room because everyone else, the 30,000 other runners, are going to be doing the same thing. And there's only mm-hmm. so many places to go. Um, plus, it's, it's yeah, Patriots and, and actually, Day in Boston. I was going to say, and that's that's a that's a state holiday, so everything yeah. is shut down. That well, not everything, but like people aren't working. You know, so. right. So you gotta you gotta you gotta make those plans, and that's you know I know, dude. I don't I don't know how like Carrie just so for Western Carrie just booked our plane tickets, and it made me like so anxious that like plane tickets weren't booked. We had all our we had all our like uh, Airbnbs and stuff all squared away since I knew I was getting in. Um, but just not even having the plane tickets booked like makes me anxious. I was like, what, mm-hmm. what do we could do that? She's like, well, I'm just like waiting to see prices and this, that, that. I was like, I was like, we just, I just, I need to know where we're going so we can book that and then book rental cars and get all that stuff square. I, I just, we need to have like everything. Cause once that is off the plate, that's one less thing I have to worry about. And you do, but you do realize your flight will change. Like with airlines right now, um, lights change, stuff happens. So just pay attention to that. I, yeah. It would be unusual if it didn't between now and then. Luckily, we're flying Southwest and they have an incredible track record. <laughs> okay. You you tell yourself that, hun. <laughs> like, <Yep>. okay. <laughs> it yeah, will change. No, it will yeah. change. But, you no, know, it's so, just usually they just make, you know, little adaptations. Hopefully it won't be a big deal. I, I actually... Um, I don't remember. I don't remember if it was going out to Cocodona or going out to Run Rabbit Run, but they just fucking they just sent me an email. And they're like, "Your flight's canceled," and they didn't send any mm-hmm. other information. Right. I was like, "What the fuck do you mean my flights?" Can-? And I'm like, "I'm like showing this to Carrie. I'm like, what? It, what does this mean? Like, do I have Your flights canceled? Do I have a fucking <laughs> other it. flight? Is there like?" What is going on? And it was like yeah. hours before. I'm like, I mean, it all mm-hmm. all ended up working out. But God yes, I'm like, yeah, I just, just an- anticipate that. Yeah. And so. So, yeah. So I've had that. I've had that happen. Yeah. So. But. That being said, we've got that got that squared away. All the all our like lodging and planning for all the, the trip is is all so who's away. who's going. What did you decide? So. Right, Carrie and the fam are going. Um, mm-hmm. How much they crew is whatever. Um, and then um, my my typical my typical crew pacers um, for big events have been Matt, Jesse, and Josh. Right. So mm-hmm. those are those are people that I like. I I've done a lot are of. They, races they're coming out. They're all coming out. Yeah. Okay. Good. Who doesn't Who doesn't love a free trip to California? I mean, pay pay a plane ticket and then you got a place to oh, stay. Oh, you bought everybody's plane tickets? No, I didn't buy anyone's plane tickets. I it, I always tell my crew and pacer that I'll take care of whatever y'all need except for plane tickets. Like. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Just, okay. I was yeah. like, wow, that's generous. No. So, um, I think that I think that the people you choose to support you, I think that's really important. And um, 
One of the things that I get asked a lot from newer athletes is about their spouses or partners or supporting them. And sometimes it can be excellent and sometimes it can be not so good. Um, and you really, and it doesn't have anything to do with the quality of anybody's relationship. It's, um, when we're out there, we are hurting, right? And so how does your partner respond when you're hurting, right? And how can they adapt to what you need? Um, if you have a partner that's going to be freaked out by you being in pain, then they probably should not, um, be on the, be on the course supporting you. You know, this is, this is for sure. Um, if you have a partner that's extraordinarily disorganized, um, then it might be nice just to happen to run into them at a, at an aid station and not count on them. Um, if you have a partner that doesn't respond well to extreme mood changes, because <laughs> I, I don't know, it's like when we're doing these races, I always think athletes are like um, sick toddlers, right? Where they're either super needy, cranky, um, apathetic. You really never know what you're going to get when you see them. So you just have to be able to adapt to how that person's feeling and roll with it. That's it. Like as a, as support, you cannot, um, I don't know. You, well, I say you can't react, but there's sometimes that like, if you need to get out of an aid station, I have no problem yelling at you and shoving you in the back and saying, go now get out. Or if you're really sad and you need a hug or something like that, then I don't know, maybe we take a couple extra seconds to do that. It's just learning how to adapt is super important. Um, and I can think of an athlete that I know, and she had somebody crew for her that was at the very last minute, and this was not a good fit. Um, she needed emotional support at this time. Let me just put it this way. And this person was very drill sergeant with her and trying to be extremely tough, um, and all it did was piss her off. <laughs> all she did was just run and get angrier and angrier and angrier by the minute until um, I caught up with her and she said, no more. She said, I can't take it anymore. I can't, I can't be yelled at anymore. <laughs> and we had to, we had to separate, separate this person from my runner. Um, yeah, that didn't, that didn't go so well. So, um, and it just, she was just angry and, um, wasn't what she needed at the moment. So the ability of the person that support the, the person that's supporting you has to have the ability to really know what you need and adapt to how you feel. Because you know what? Let's say, Sean, you're really sad and upset and you don't you want to take too much time in an aid station. Well, this isn't my time to sit and do an emotional talk with you. If if you have a PR that needs to be met, I'm gonna be kind of firm with you and just say, get the hell out of the aid station. Um that type of adaptation, I think, is super important because it can think, go very badly. I think there's two things that are important. I think as a pacer slash crew member, you have to understand that this is not your fucking race. Exactly. And you have to understand that this is also their race. And so if they are continuing to willing to suffer and deal with that, you take yourself yourself emotionally out of that situation and right that becomes hard for spouses in certain situations mm -hmm. yep. like like my wife 
cries at every race I've ever done. Like, cause I get in really low, bad spots. She never lets me see it until the end of the race. Like at the end of Coca-Cola, she's like full on tears. Like, and I left, I left the last aid station with crew that I was in throwing up blood and like in a really bad spot. And she was there and she was, she sucked it up probably until the minute I walked out of that aid station. And there was probably a mess for the next six hours while it took me to get mm-hmm. to the finish line. Right. right. Um, but, but she sucked it up in, in that, like she's seen me like at like the worst places and she's seen me mm-hmm. at like some of the best places. Right. Um, and she knows that that's like, that's part of the deal. Um, and then the other thing is I think has a runner or a racer, like if you, if it's an adventure racer, an obstacle course race or whatever it is, you have to tell your support staff or crew pacers, whatever it is, what you want. You have exactly. to be, yeah. you have to communicate that to them. You can't expect that they're going to understand the way you want to be. Right. So like, and by that, I mean, like, I like pretty much when I get ready for a race that I'm going to have any kind of support at, I like, I break down like aid stations that I expect them to be at. I like put GPS directions. I put freaking spreadsheets together. I give them the freaking, I give them a, a, a copy of the, the, um, runner's manual that has like all the, and I give them all this information so that they have very little trying to like figure out what they have to do. Right. Like, and then I give them expectations like, Hey, I'm not going to take pictures while I'm on this. So take pictures for me. Like, Hey, run in front of me. Don't run behind me, run behind me. Don't run in front of me. Hey, if I feel like garbage, like, and I'm at this point, I might tell you that I feel like garbage and you can tell me to run. And if I tell you to fuck off, don't take it personally. Cause that's yeah. where I'm at. Right. Like, um, Take toddler. Yep. And so, <laughs> well, I don't know that you're and talking, like, and I, off, but you know what I mean? <laughs> maybe my toddlers. No. Um, <laughs> so I've had, I've had like pacers that have been like, Hey, why don't we run? And I've been like, Hey, fuck you. And I was like, and then they've said it like an hour later and it was like, Hey, why don't we run? And I was like, okay, let's go. Right. Like it's, it, it might change from one moment to the next. And like, it's not like if I, if, if you're getting like irritated with your like pacer or whatever, you got to let them know like, Hey, like, thanks for being out here, but shut the fuck up. I'm going to like grind mm-hmm. this out for a little bit. Maybe we can reassess like where we're at as like, as a team going forward after this, like, or like where we, we can assess in an hour. Cause an hour, sometimes an hour can be a really long time on a course. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it can fly by. Um, Depends on depends on where you are mentally, emotionally, physically. The the thing that's different for me this year is I'm looking at my bike races and planning for them is so is is very different from um from all the running I've done in the past. Not so much, I mean, you know, the food, the logistics, all that, you know, that's fine. That's that's pretty much the same. 
but how to, you know, how to incorporate support and um, still sometimes even tracking my pace on the, on the bike is a lot harder. And so it's very challenging to mm-hmm. um, have people meet me at particular times because I'm still, I can, I can really easily predict my, well, not easily, but you know, I can pretty safely predict my run pace. Um, but biking can be, biking can just be a lot different. Um, and I'm still it's three, two years of gravel bike racing. I think this is, yeah. Um, so going into year three of doing this, um, yeah, it's different. It's, it's definitely different. And I still, um, I'm a little hesitant to even, to even do a lot of planning. Um, but, um, I'm going to need to, so live and learn, you know, live and learn. Yeah. I think, I mean, even with even running a big marathon, if you, if your family, friends that, and there's no, like, there's no crew pacers, there's none of that, right? Like it's just, if you want to see, want to have your family and friends meet you at different spots just to say hi. Right. Or to just to see you. So they're enjoying it. If they're coming out to spectate, you kind of, there's, there's logistics that go into that. And the best thing you can do as a runner for them that are coming out to support you in this really fucking super selfish endeavor that you've taken on for the months leading up to the race is make it as simple as possible for them. Right. Like, so like when it comes to when I've done like Boston, I've like, I'm like, look, you can take this train here to like this. You can see me here at this time. I should be here at this time in the, in the margin of error in a marathon is very like small, right? Like if you miss, if you're like two minutes late to a spot, you might, uh, there's a good chance you've missed me. That's, that's what's harder on my bike. Um, you know, predicting my pace. I mean, especially if there's a lot of climbing, um, and actually everything is hilly out here. There's no flat courses. Right. But, <laughs> so. but the, I think, I think the, if you can figure out what the logistical time frame, like, Oh yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll be, I'll be plus or minus 30 minutes here. Mm-hmm. But in a marathon, it's like, I'll be plus or minus five minutes. Right. Like the, that, like, time to get to the next eight, like wherever, wherever the next stop is might be plus or minus five minutes. Whereas like in and a bigger it, span, the, the, the width of time becomes, it's just. Yeah. And it's also important to know who's meeting you. For example, like if I know that you're out on a course and I'm having foot issues or I'm likely to have foot issues. Great. I know you can fix my feet. However, if there's somebody that's meeting me that does not have that kind of experience. Um, you know, it's just, or if I know that my husband and kids are meeting me, you know, what I get from my husband and kids might be different from, you know, what I get, um, you know, from you, it's just, you know, know your, know your support and, and know, you know, and know what they can give you. Um, I don't know if, I think I've told you this story, but I don't think I've said it on the podcast. I think the first time I did an intermediate distance triathlon um, was out in Litchfield, Connecticut. So you know how hilly it is, right? The course is actually called Litchfield Hills, right? So I did that. I did that race, and um, during the 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 bike, the bike was really the bike. The whole thing, the whole thing was really steep, and I'd gone out and ridden the course beforehand, so I knew what to expect. 
but race day was super hard. And when I finished the run, honest to God, I felt like I just wanted to go sit by a tree and just die because it was just so hot and I was so tired. And <laughs> I just had this fantasy of going through the finish shoot. My family's there. I'm just going to sit by this tree and everything's going to be okay. And so I finished the race. My family's there. They're at the finish line cheering me on. I'm going through the I'm going through the shoot after I finished. And two of my kids caught me, one on either side of the shoot. They were arguing about a donut. <laughs> and they were arguing about who was entitled to this last donut. And honest to God, I, I looked at my husband and I think in like some devil voice, I say, get them away from me now. <laughs> Just it was yeah, these yeah, they just they wanted me to solve their who's gonna get who's gonna get this last donut issue. And I was in so I was in so much pain and so happy to finish, so happy to finish. And my husband ended up taking the kids and I think I found a tree and probably went over and died, but didn't kill my kids. If I had had more energy, I might have. But yeah, so that's what I was greeted with at that at the end of that race. Yeah. And I mean, that's <laughs> that, like, that's kids though. That's, I mean, you, you know, I, you can't expect, I you can't have big expectations with yeah. kids. Yep, and they were just, little at the time too, little. You just roll with it however it happens and however that shakes out. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's that. Um, I don't know. Like I've been most of the time with our kids, they, a lot of times they'll be at a finish. They might, they might come to an aid station or so. Um, like with Western States, my um, my in-laws are coming out because Carrie's sister is now living out in California. So we're kind of making a family trip to go out and see her. So I think the kids at some point will be out on the course, but at some other point they'll be with the grandparents and not on the course. And I'll probably see them at the finish. Or um, I ch- and. My expectations for like, I don't have expectations for Carrie on the course. Like I don't have expectations for the wife, for my wife and kids on Mm -hmm. the course. Like if they're out there, cool. If they're not like, that's why I have, that's why I have the crew and Jesse and Matt. Those are the one, those are the people that you have the expectations. I mean, you know, Carrie's expectations are, yeah, she's going to hang with the kids and emotional support and taking care of all the behind the scenes stuff. And yeah. And she's, she's excellent at that. And then, you know, talking about, right. Like contingency planning, like I said, I have, I have spreadsheets that have everything that like have what my calorie count should be for like each section based upon expected time on course. I, so I break everything out and I don't, when I plan, I don't rely on my pacers or crew to be wherever. Cause who kn- just who knows what happens. Right? I, also, I also don't rely on aid station food and hydration because first I've been at aid stations where I can't eat anything because of, I have a lot of food sensitivities and, and allergies. And I've also been on race courses where they've run out of water. Um, so having that, having that extra water, um, was a lifesaver. Oh, I, I rely on a good thing to, it- I rely on aid stations for, for hydration, for sure. Um, well, I mean, again, I, I ran one race and they completely ran out of water and it was out West. Um, and I think it was like 90 to a lot of people were really hurting. I mean, it was like 90 plus, um, this time of year. 
um, it was it was tragic and actually relatively dangerous. But um, I had extra water. I had, you know, threw threw an extra you know water bottle in with my gear, and it was okay. So. Yeah, I don't. And I didn't. And I didn't have enough to share either. That was the other thing. Like if I'd shared, I would have. The um, I pay attention. Well, I try to choose races where the logistics have already been essentially squared away. Like I don't like to do first year races. That being said, I'm essentially doing a first year race this year. Cocodona was a first year race. Um, but the companies, happens. but the Shit companies, happens. the companies that put it on, like have a lot of, a lot of background in that this area. One, this confident. one did too. I will tell you the race. I'll tell you the race afterwards, but, um, this was a well-established, well-established so. race. The level that you and I plan um, is, 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 is extremely detailed. I think it's very needed. Um, you and I have been doing this for a while. And if people listening to this have no clue how to do that, that's where your coach comes in. And your coach should be supporting you in not only training, but coming up with um, race day planning and logistics. Um, I, good coaches should be doing that. So if your coach is not, that's a bit of a, um, you know, it's a bit of a red flag, but find somebody that can support you either as a coach or a friend and that can help you do what Sean and I are talking about. Cause it's, it is super important. Yeah. The other thing, what I was saying about not, relying on crew or pacers to get wherever um if drop bags are an option and it is not somehow in the race guidance that if you have crew you can't have drop bags sometimes there are races because of the hassle of getting drop bags from one point to another that that may exist um i will put a drop bag at every aid station that i'm allowed a drop bag because that way, if my crew doesn't show up, I still have what I need to get through the next section. Like that, I can like guarantee that I'll have the calories that I need, that I won't be short on that, that like if I needed a change of socks, that's there. Um, if my, I will tell my crew at each age station, if there's a drop bag to grab my drop bag, because it's already sorted at that point, they don't have to do anything. I just have to change out trash for like, new food and like maybe change like if it's change socks that whatever if it's like take care of my foot like it's all ready divided out and they can handle it everything else they bring is like bonus like hey like maybe i want this flavor gel instead of whatever or this flavor or this food bites this food and like i can make decisions on the fly but as far as detrimental to my race i won't be affected. I remember I was running a 24 hour timed race and it was a, like a three and a half mile loop that I was repeating over 24 hours. And I remember it just got so cold at night. And it, again, it wasn't like legitimately cold. I mean, it was maybe like, you know, 40 degrees kind of cold, but you know, when you're tired and it's nighttime and stuff. And I remember my husband went out to Whole Foods and got me some soup. And oh my God, it was like that hot soup was the best thing 
<laughs> like the best thing I had because not only did it warm me up, but it had a ton of calories in it because it was like a bisque soup. Um, it was exactly what I needed. It, um, you know, so that's one of those things I never would have, never would have anticipated because I looked at the temperature. It didn't, or I don't think, you know, mid forties is, I don't consider it cold, but again, when you've been moving for that long and you're, you know, tired and cranky, it hit the spot and it was like, um, I was completely rejuvenated. It, it changed my race. Um, super grateful for that run to whole foods. (laughs) So, so speaking of that, um, if you're doing a race, whatever it is, and you have, and you have the option to have a pacer and you do not carry a cell phone, have them carry a cell phone. Um, if you're doing a race and you have a cell phone and you have crew support in whatever race it is, um, Make sure you have everyone in your group's numbers, because depending on where it is, you may have cell service. They might Verizon might have good service. AT&T might have goods. But it's nice to be able to communicate to your crew specifically. So an example of that was in Cocodona. I was um, going through Sedona with with Josh. And I was like, and I was in a low point. It was scorching hot and I was feeling really bad. And all I could think about was like macaroni and cheese. Like I just wanted mac and cheese. <laughs> I, it, Josh is like, and I was like, Josh, I want mac and cheese. I was like, and he's like, what? And it was like, yeah, like mac and cheese. I was like, call the crew or text them and tell them to get me mac and cheese when we come into the aid station. And he's like, okay. So he did. And uh, it like the, it's like the best, like it's the to me it was like at the time it was like the funniest conversation because it was Josh like texted him he's like Sean wants mac and cheese when he comes in and Jesse was like what like he wants mac and cheese and Josh and, and Josh is like yeah and they go well what where like what and Josh goes I don't know that's not my problem that's your problem now like <laughs> I relate the message. <laughs> And it was like, and that was it. And they, they had, they brought me Mac. I mean, they had Mac and cheese for me when I like came in and it really was effing magical. And that's like, that's a, that's a, a bonus. When you like, get the, yeah. And I remember at, at ghost train where I was running that one year and it was super hot. And, uh, uh, one of the aid station volunteers, they had popsicles and I, I don't eat popsicles. Um, but at the moment this was so great. And she's like, do you want a popsicle? I'm like, Oh, oh my God. God, yes. And I knew it was exactly what I needed. And then on top of it, she said, what flavor do you want? So not only did I have a popsicle, but I got to choose the flavor. I was like, oh, and she gave it to me. I swear to God, I told her I loved her. I said, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> Just went on. My, but yeah, when you get, when you get that, when you get that need met, it can, yeah, it can, it can literally be a, a race changer. Yeah. And there's, and there's, you have to understand that there's the possibility that won't get met, right? Like they were in, they were in Sedona. And so Sedona is essentially for Arizona is a pretty populous city. So there was a lot of options to go out and get macaroni and cheese that they could make for me, whatever, however that was, was handled. Now, if you're in freaking Windsor, Vermont, or, some podunk town in Colorado in the middle of the night and everything's closed. 
well, you don't get right. macaroni and cheese, right? Like, <laughs> yep. Unless unless you happen to come across a gas station that like maybe maybe has it, and like if your crew really knows you and your your group of support really knows you, maybe they can make something else happen um, that that'll kind of scratch that itch, and maybe it'll be okay. Um, but you know, the expectations have to be realistic. Um, for your support and you can't get mad at them if it like goes bad. Um, right. And that's, that's hard, hard to, hard to fathom. I always tell my crew also, I was like, listen, I'm going to swear at you. I'm probably going to tell you yeah. to like fuck off. Um, but I don't, don't ever take it personally. And like, that goes just, back to what I was saying about choosing your crew. You just need to choose people that really don't care. You know, like they can just roll with it. Yeah. That's well, super important. And it, and it's like I said, it's important to like that they have that understanding that that'll like come out. I've had. And, and their ability to read the room, to know when they have to tell you to be tough. um, And when you just when that is not appropriate, you know, because sometimes you just can't tell somebody to be tough if they're broken. You just kind of have to give them a hug and remind them why they're out there and tell them to move on. But yeah, know your, no, read the room, know your audience. <laughs> I am also a very shitty pacer. If you ever want me to pace for you, I am like the worst. Cause if you tell me you have a desired goal, regardless of what's going on with you, you could be having like the worst race whatsoever. I'm going to like try and push you to that desired goal, whether you want to be pushed at that point or not. Like, well, I, I think that's, I mean, at least in my opinion, that's a good pacer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it is. It has never been super awesome for anyone that I've paced. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I've, I've come across that like a bunch of times. A lot of times I have, um, if you just tell me you want someone out there to like keep you company, cool. I don't care. We can do whatever. Like, um, but just make sure you're, like I said, for, for me, like make sure your expectation of what you expect out of me is clear. Cause otherwise I will, I will drive you to whatever you tell me your, your expectation is. Um, I think that's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I don't know if everyone else likes it. I've had, I, I had yeah. last person I paced, um, was not super amped that I was like, look at, if we keep up this pace, we're getting there at X hours. Like, and you said you wanted to be done at this. So we have to but go. But you this got pace. him there. Didn't you? I remember this. You got, he, he reached his goal. Oh, that wasn't it. Oh, okay. I was thinking of no. something else. I was thinking of another time. No, he just that, did whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah. And which is fine, but like, yeah, but it makes me, it like, it brings me angst as a pacer. And then I have a hard time disengaging from what you said you wanted, right? Like, and I understand that like maybe what you wanted can change, but I'm. See, I think I'm good at, you know, your, if you tell me your goal. What we have to do and get what we have to do to get there logistically, 
Okay. But then emotionally, I'm very good at reading the room and adapting to what you need to get you there. Whether you need me to be tough with you, whether you need me to be kind. I mean, I can think of one race where, um, this, uh, somebody that I was working with her feet were so bad. They were completely macerated. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's pretty gross. Um, and it was so freaking painful. And, um, when I, I treated her feet and took care of them so she could so she could continue running and she was just gritting her teeth. She had tears running down her eyes. I knew how hard it was. And I just actually didn't look at her while I was treating her feet because it just and then when she put her shoes and socks on and tried to walk, um it was it was pretty bad. But and she was in tears and I remember just giving her a hug biting my, you know, just biting inside of my cheek because I'm like, there's no way I can get upset because if she sees me freak out, it's going to like, how bad do you want this? Do you want to go back out there? And she said, absolutely. And, um, and she did, (laughs) she, she got right back on the race course. And then when she left, I kind of sat there like, her feet were so gnarly. Oh my God. It was, um, it was very painful. It was very painful to even look at how bad it was, but I just needed to hold it together and gave her a hug. You can do this. Then gave her a shove in the back and said, let's go. Goodbye. See you in a couple hours. Um, Got to, that piece I'm good at, just adapting how I respond. But remember, that's also what I do for a living <laughs> between, you know, between my jobs. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little easier from the crew side versus where the pacer, where you're you're with them for all the miles, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a crew, you're like, all right, I have to hold it together or adjust for whatever x five five ten minutes, right? Like, and then it's on them the rest of the way, or on them and their pacer if it's if it's that kind of deal for the rest of the the time. But when you're pacing, it's really hard because you're because you're you're with them. And sometimes like, yeah, it's it's that the the hardest thing, I think, crewing, crewing arguably is is hard. There's I think crewing is harder than running the race. I mean, and I mean that like the level of exhaustion and the putting your your own needs to the side for a long period of time to support somebody else. I mean, it's exhausting in a very, very, very different way. Um, it's very draining. It is draining, but I don't think not it's about harder. you. It's not, I don't think it's harder than running the race. It's just less rewarding than running the race. Maybe. That makes sense. I mean, it, it may be harder in that way. I don't know. I don't know. But. Like it's it's we I think that's a a nice colloquialism that we say that like oh crewing's harder than running the race like but I I don't think that's necessarily true um, depends on the race it depends but, on how many people you're with I mean I've but, done some that are but crewing yeah. crewing is 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 hard for sure um, because exactly like you said you get to crewing. You live in a world of anxiety the entire time, mm-hmm. the entire day. Yeah. That's that you do. That's that's what I find exhausting. The it's the hurry up and wait. And I don't mind the waiting part that I can handle. But it's the 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 hurry up part, you know, well, and making sure that everything is done and dotting I's and crossing T's. And 
that's and that's in the the waiting part is super hard like you're like you you might not mind it but it i think that is the hardest part because you're complete in most races you're completely in the dark you don't know hopefully maybe maybe at the aid station maybe they have a check-in check-out process and maybe they know your runner has gone through and you can yeah it's not always accurate too yeah sometimes there's such a delay that you don't know and yeah and so you might your runner might and when you're talking about if your runner runs a minute faster per mile like and you were expecting them to be there um 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later and you're right there on time when they told you to be there and they've come through 10 minutes early, five minutes early, three minutes early. You could have, you could miss them and be sitting there for 45 minutes being like, where the fuck is my runner and living Mm -hmm. in in a world of anxiety. And then at that point, try to figure out what's the next move. Do I go to the next aid station? Do I wait? What if they're having a bad day? Like what if they're like Mm -hmm. a lot behind? What if, and, and so that, that is a hard, hard part. Um, it's an act of service. It's an, it act, an act of, of love. Yeah. Um, and that's why you should always take care of your crew. Absolutely. Um, Gifts at the end are highly recommended. I, I've always done that for, for people that uh, for people that help me out. Yeah, like I said, gifts. I'll take I take I try and take care of all the lodging, car rentals, food, anything, especially like when someone's traveling for a race. Um, yeah. For sure, if if I can make their trip as seamless as possible for the sacrifice they're making for me, I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, now, I know this is kind of like it's in the same vein, but like, have you traveled with a bike? Like, have you sent a bike on an airplane and like done any of that stuff? I don't have any experience with that. And um, like, I've driven. I've driven with a bike. I'm still too nervous. I'm still too nervous to travel with a bike. Um, but, but I might at some, at some point. Um, but yeah, we've driven, we've driven to North Carolina three times, um, with my bike or, um, or multiple bikes. We've done that. Um, and I'm trying to think, I, I mean, I, I just like to, I, if I can drive with my bike, I would do that in a split second over putting it, um, you know, over putting it on an airplane just for fear of, you know, damage and putting the bike together, you know, back together afterwards. Um, I've never had any issues traveling for adventure races or bike races. I'm trying to think. I think the the only time I ever had an issue was we we traveled, we got down to North Carolina and I realized I didn't have any bike shorts and that's really important. <laughs> um I had forgotten my bike shorts and I it was really we were very rural and it was very hard to find bike shorts. Um I think I eventually found a bike shop. Um long, long, long ways away and, um, had somebody just go over and pick me up a pair of bike shorts and I just kind of hope for the best. Um, and I don't remember having any, um, any issues with chafing or anything like that in that particular race. So I guess whatever they got me went well, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, that's the, I think that's the biggest issue, but with traveling with bikes, just making sure to have 
all of your bike, all of your bike tools, extra tubes, tires. There's a lot more to travel with. Um, I I just bring everything. And if I were on a plane, I would do the same thing. Just just bring it all. Lots of luggage, but you know you're going to need it. Yeah, I um, there was there's some people that I know that travel for bike races, and they will bring, depending on where their race is, they will almost essentially bring one possible point of failure for mm-hmm. each bike. Cause like the likelihood, right. that, I mean, they'll bring multiple tubes and like multiple, like whatever, like extra sealant and all that, whatever they need tires. But a lot of times what they'll bring is like, they might bring like one extra set of pedals, one like, extra oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Like one extra brake line, whatever, like, yes. Oh yeah. Like, and just simple stuff, mm-hmm. especially if it's like a race that's more rural um, yep. and that they won't be mm-hmm. able to get to to a bike shop in that case for, I mean, a, a, if you're flying into a fucking race in Leadville and you're flying into Denver and something breaks on your bike while you're in the Denver area, there's probably not, even if right. it probably breaks in Leadville, you can, there's areas that you can go to that are not far away. That you can get your bike service, but if you're flying into, I don't know, Podunk, Montana, and like there's nothing around, like what are you going to do? One of the issues I've had over the past couple years in doing longer bike races, especially the gravel bike races, um, I would say 50 miles and over, um, I carry too much on my bike or in my pack. I'm over preparing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and. I need to find a way to, you know, cut my, cause that, that extra weights a lot. Um, and I'd like to get to a more minimalist setup. Um, I've been looking at a couple different, you know, a couple different options, um, you know, for my pack or just the little, you know, the little bag that goes under, you know, under my seat, but again, if if I have a flat tire, I want to make sure that I have stuff out there. I know people that that race and they're like, well, yeah, if I get a flat tire, I'll just deal with it. But I, I can't handle that. <laughs> I can't handle that level of anxiety. I need to have the tube with me. I need to have the um, the CO two cartridge, and I, 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 yeah. So I need to make what I carry smaller. Um, just for the weight of it, but I've been playing with that. Um, Would you run tubeless? Mm-mm. Nope. I have tubes in. I have tubes in my um, mountain bike and my gravel bike. Should go tubeless. But you could still have issues with that. I mean that 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 you, you can, but the well. the likelihood of like is way oh. less. Oh, like, I'm kidding. I mean the way the way my husband rides, he always has issues with. He he is always popping or ripping something, but um. <laughs> Yeah. So that doesn't, I know that, so that, but also on a, on a gravel bike. No, I want the, I want the tubes. Um, I mean, it's fine to have a tube backup, but I would run because you, your, your likelihood for, I would say your likelihood of having, now this is just my experience of having a like sidewall rip where you can't seal it with the tube. Even in that case, a freaking a wrapper, like a, uh, yeah. And my biggest, my biggest issue over the past two years is having the disc brakes on the back of my gravel bike when I taking the wheel off is just a little bit trickier. And I've had to, I, I had to learn a couple of years ago, um, just how to do that very quickly. <laughs> um, 
and I still don't think I'm I'm very quick at it, but um, but that I was an adaptation. Oh, I did that. I've done that. I tried to my my brakes were making a weird sound, and I don't know what I was thinking. So you know when you're I don't know if you ride enough to have this happen, but when you ride a lot, you just know how your bike sounds, and my my brakes were making a weird sound, and I don't know what I was thinking. And the bike was relatively new, um, but I got off the bike at the base of a hill and it just <laughs> put my thumb right on it. And I was like, oh, I mean, literally had a had a blister on the on the tip of my thumb. It was one of the dumbest things I've done in a long time. Um, and yeah, yeah, my brakes, my brakes were fine. I think they just they just gotten a little wet or I don't know. They're just making a weird sound. I overreacted. But yeah, don't touch them. Yeah, don't touch them. Yeah, squealy squealy brakes are super irritating, but as soon as like those those centered pads get wet, they make or metallic pads get wet, they get freaking noisy. And I think for my my racing this year, I'm leaning towards shorter shorter bike races. And when I say that, I mean under 50 miles, um, because then I can focus a little bit more on my speed, which I really like to do on my gravel bike, and then my longer distances that I'm planning are adventures, um, stuff I'm doing by myself or with other people. Um, and I can, you know, we have a, we have a pace that we, you know, estimate that we'll go or, you know, or if I'm by myself, I have, I have an idea, but, um, yeah, the, the adventures, the, the longer adventures I'm going to do is non races, at least so far based on what I've signed up for. Um, so I'm working on the speed for the shorter ones. Now, I know you've done adventure racing in the past and stuff like that. Now, for mm-hmm. a lot of um, adventure races, right, like they almost provide a lot of the gear for you, right? Like, I mean, oh, not, no. not a, no. you, you no, bring no. your own ki- – no, no, like no. what about your kayaks and shit like that? No. Uh, well, it actually – it depends on the race. So um, we've had – oh, see, we had one race and we had to bring everything um, – including, well, okay. Each one's, I'm going to just say each one's different. When I first started adventure racing, what I was told is these are, this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be mountain biking, running, climbing, um, and in boats. This is what you have to bring. And they'll tell you. So we've had races that we've had to bring boats. Um, we've had other races where a boat was provided for us. And typically, the latter is the worst. Um, we did one race in North Carolina and we were given a boat and by luck of the draw, this thing was a freaking tank. It was so slow and we were paddling our brains out and just watching people on better boats just whiz by us. And it was horrible. I think we were in the water, in the ocean for Oh God, six hours or more paddling. And it just was like a, just a slog. <laughs> it was, it was horrible. And when we finally got out of this tank, we were so, we were so grateful. Um, climbing gear, depending on what you're doing. I did one race where we had to repel off, off a building and, um, I don't know how many stories it was. Mm-hmm. 20, 30 stories. I'm not, I can't really remember. Um, but when for that rappel, they hooked us into gear. We were not bringing our own climbing gear. There was somebody doing, um, and I think basically because they just didn't want us to go over the, <laughs> go over the edge of this building in, in the middle of this, um, city, um, they 
clipped us in. We used all their equipment, rappelled down, and then we had to finish with a run. But then there's other times that we've been climbing where we have to set, we have to bring everything um, and set our own stuff up. So it completely depends on, completely depends on the race. And for Sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get. So we would definitely over-prepare and bring more than we needed. That was an issue too, because a lot of times I've been running and we have all this gear on and we didn't need it, but she didn't know. So I'd rather have it and carry it. But then again, that makes you move so much slower. So depends on the race. Yeah. And I think that's right. So if you're prepping for a race and this is, I've come I've I've had discussions with athletes on this. I've done it myself. Um, and right. This is knowing as much about the race as possible. And mm-hmm. I will, I will go so far as if needed to contact race directors and be like, what nutrition are you putting out on the course? What can we expect if it's not listed? Like, do you, we've are, had, are you, we've had adventure races where they tell us nothing until we show up, you know, or, or like, or you don't know what that, you don't know what the next leg is until you get there. Um, or, you know, and we've had races where we have to navigate where there is no course, um, you know, or they just, you know, give us the, well, we have to bring the, we have to bring the supplies, you know, to navigate, but, um, yeah, that's hard, <laughs> but it's kind of fun too. Yeah. And I think, but I mean, knowing what you're getting into, I think is, is yeah. the best options um, and making and extra it, steps to get as much information as you can will allow you to knowing the, knowing better. the race director. Yeah. Knowing the race director too, because there are certain race directors where we're like, who knows, man, how they do their races. Like it's anything goes. And then other race directors are meticulous and everything is laid out. You know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, know the personality of the race that you're doing. And, um, and if you're going to one of those, anything goes races, we knew ahead of time, anything goes like, yeah, you know, this could be five miles. It could be 10 miles. It just depends on how you want to navigate it, figure it out, have fun. (laughs) God, (laughs) As long as you get there. Okay. You know, get yeah. there and we have our little, you know, whatever we had to pick up on the way, you know, um, ribbons or, you know, whatever to prove that we were there. So, yeah. yeah. And then there's, I mean, in that regard, there's certain like, so I right, you UTMB is an example. Um, death race that I did is an example. Um, I'm sure there's other races where. St- there's mandatory gear requirements, right? And it's yes. how, how, uh-huh. right? And you're talking about carrying all this extra gear. Mm-hmm. In a lot of those races, you will attempt with mandatory gear to get by with the lightest, most um, minimalistic approach possible. Like UTMB, it's like super common that you're required to have waterproof gloves on you and people mm-hmm. carry rubber gloves, like freaking uh, medical gloves. Cause they're Ugh, waterproof. Gross. Ugh. But like, but you have to carry like, horrible. Like, I know, but that's you have terrible. to carry, but you have to carry an insulating glove and a waterproof glove. So like, yeah. if you have both of those, like, well, a latex glove is a freaking you can put it over your insulating glove and it's not waterproof. Right. right? Um, right. and it weighs, it weighs nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, 
after working this week um, on the ambulance, because it was warm this week, what tends to happen if you, when I have medical gloves on and it's hot outside, by the time I take them off or switch them, it's so gross what happens to your hands inside those gloves. Um, that's why I, that's why I kind of shiver because I actually took my gloves off at the hospital the other day and I looked at somebody. I'm like, yep, it's getting warm outside. <laughs> it's just a puddle of water comes out with my gloves. It's totally gross. Um, but I think a lot of ultras that I've done and adventure races, the, yeah, the gear check beforehand, um, has been, has been a very big deal. And it, um, yeah. And if you, if you don't have the gear, then you're not allowed to race. And I remember one race where we did have gear checks and somebody didn't have the required gear and this, it got really, really, really cold. And this person ended up having like hypothermia in the middle of the, in the middle of the woods and, and had, you know, actually had to have a rescue, um, because she was starting to go out of her mind. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's why they tell you, you know, you need to have a waterproof coat or you need to have gloves or there's a reason race directors are telling you these things. So, yeah, yeah. read the directions, people. <laughs> Some Sometimes race directors go overboard, though. I've um, there's a, a particular race that the pacers were required to carry. An insulating blanket. Um, 60 ounces of water. Oh, and I think gloves and a hat and um, I don't, I don't remember it, like three different lights or reflective, like it was, it was ridiculous. Megan, this race goes through like city streets. Oh, a lot of it. Okay. Oh, and, and the aid stations. <laughs> and you were and out the, in the middle of the woods or something. And the aid stations are not longer than like seven miles. And it happens oh in early okay. October. And you're like, the requirements for this are like way over. What I, I had never seen anything like it. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay. Um, and now I don't know if that's like, their permit and insurance policy that they had to like well, cover those that's things. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Um, but you're like, what are we doing here? People like this is, that's a little, little overboard there. You're like a Sherpa. Yeah. So anywho. Um, well, yeah. so be prepared people. Be prepared. Be prepared. Tell your, tell your crew what to expect. Um, take care of your crew. Take care and, of your, your pacers. And know you'll make mistakes. That's how you learn. I make make as plan for as many contingencies as possible, like have mm -hmm. backups to your backups. Um, there is. If you whatever you plan for in a race, like expect that things are going to go sideways, the more things that you can head off. Hope for the best plan for the worst. Um, the more things you can. Yeah. The more things you can head off mm -hmm. when the when the things that happen that go sideways, there are less of an impact. Um you have less things go sideways that you, cause you're prepared for more of them. Um, that's actually can, my motto. That's my motto in life. Hope for the best and plan for the worst. Yeah. Everything. everything it can't get worse all the time. Um, <laughs> well, so. all right. I think we have a plan. Hey, so what is 
What wonderful outtake song did you plan for us today? Dude, aren't you super excited? So I'm so excited. Well, yeah, it's a good solid Gen X. Yeah, dude, Gen it's X dad, song. it's dad rock, right? We're fucking pop punk is dad rock. Anyways, so it's just I thought um, there there was like I had several songs bouncing around, Megan, but um, per my wife, <laughs> I was I was said, hey, it's it's fun that. The original Blink-182 um, crew is back together, and they just performed at Coachella for the first time in, on stage um, since they really, like, kind of broke up and whatever. Ooh, that whole – anyways, so the outtake song is going to be What's My Age Again by Blink-182, and it's, it's just a fun, stupid, poppy punk song. Okay. Okay, Dad. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy, everybody. Sean, I will catch you later. Take it easy, Meg. Bye. Bye. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I woke alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants. But then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more abuse by TV shows. What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? But later on, on the drive home, I called her mom from a payphone. I said I was the cops and your husband's in jail. The state looks down on sodomy. And that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I still want to lose my bank phone calls. What the hell is call ID? My friends say I should have my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? Thank you.